from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. What's up, fellas? What up, man? What up, Cody, my guy? What do we got? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. In episode 16, we have a game seven. The NBA season's in full swing, and we recap week nine in college football. But we begin today with the NFL trade deadline, which came and went with really no blockbuster deals. Teams out of contention with big names held their assets or they wanted too much in return, which priced some buyers out of the market. So we'll kick off with you, Drink. What player or team are you most surprised to see staying put? Well, first of all, I just want the listeners to know that um, this NFL trade deadline put me to sleep, so I just woke up out of a nap. Secondly, uh, let's talk about this. You know where I'm going with this. I've been beating this dead horse for the, the majority of this show. Of this show. And it's, it's my boy Trent Williams. Once again... Once again, Washington missed a chance to get him out of there. And then, while I'm preparing to go on my rant of why he didn't get traded away, then he goes out here and pulls some, oh, my, my, my helmet, oh, my head, it hurts. I can't put my helmet on. Uh, I contacted Antonio Brown, and he said, this this stuff ain't right. You know, help, help me out here. Like, what is going on? Look, man, I don't know what the Redskins doing. Why did he get get rid of this guy? He wants to get me getting rid of, and you still didn't get rid of. This is ridiculous. On top of the fact that the whole trade deadline was about as boring as it gets, I thought I was watching opera. I don't know. This is ridiculous. This is downright ridiculous, all right? Trent Williams, why does he still have a Washington Redskin jersey. Could somebody answer that for me? Please, one of you gentlemen, could you answer that for me? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I'm at a loss. So, yes, that is my surprising guy. Now, you ask yourself, I want to put out a surprising team. And my surprising team is none other than the Chicago Bears. Now, I don't understand. Now, you did. We talked about this previously, George, and you made a compelling case. So I do. I understand more than I did probably two hours ago, but it still kind of, you know, make my neck itch a little bit when I think about it. Like, why would Chicago not make a move to get a quarterback to supplement that talented, also talented team that they have that has a chance? to make a postseason run. We're talking about a team, the Chicago Bears making a postseason run. Not the Dolphins to get the first pick, but the Bears to get the post. you got to get a quarterback. Now, 
I got it. Hey man, they moved up to get this guy. They gotta keep him. They need, they gotta do whatever they gotta do to make him work. You make a compelling case, George. I ain't mad at you. It's compelling. However, it's time to move. Hey, we're trying to make the playoffs here. Trubisky, we spent all this money on defense. We need to make the playoffs. Can I get you to throw the ball over 20 yards? Can I, can I issue you in that? What do I gotta do to get you to throw the ball over 20 yards? I would go hire the best throwing coach ever. Please help me out here. Cause you're making me look bad. You're just making me look bad. So look, you keep it short and sweet. Trent Rinson should be wearing another jersey for another team. Cause he, too many teams that need a left tackle. Too many teams. And Chicago should have went harder for a quarterback. I ain't saying they had to go sign some crazy quarterback or whatever, but you could have found somebody. You got Cinnamon Toast Crunch, young redhead over there at the Cincinnati that could they could have got. All right, you got Teddy Two Gloves, fresh off a of five and zero season. Right, you you could go holler at him. You could, it's some moves that could have been made. But hey, Chicago didn't make a move. That's where I'm at. I'm done with my rent. It's on you, Jay. Just a couple points before I get to where ultimately I want to go. Uh, you're absolutely right with Trent Williams. When I look at uh, when I look at Trent Williams and the Washington Redskins, Trent Williams is a guy who's been adamant throughout the process and this holdout that he did not want to play for the Washington Redskins and he was not going to play for them. And I think that's only going to continue despite the fact that he has now reported. Uh, I still don't expect him to play. Uh, when I hear, even though. Uh, we understand uh, the injury that he was dealing with. Look, he put a helmet on and said, "Feeling di- he's feeling discomfort. This don't feel right." That just that just screams to me. I don't want to play for y'all. So the Redskins absolutely they missed the boat. To me, it's even more embarrassing that they the media got wind that they were trying to move him. And they ultimately they ultimately couldn't get it done for whatever reason. But it's nothing new. The Redskins seemingly can never do anything right. So why would we why would we put any stock uh, in them and trying to move off a guy who has no interest in playing for them? But I, I really want to go to the New York Jets. And let's let me uh, let me just preface my comments by saying uh, the wrath that I have against the New York Jets right now is not only about what happened on the trade deadline yesterday. The trading deadline was just an example of how bad this franchise is, particularly as an organization in the executive levels. You got to go back to free agency and the draft when they had a man named Mike McCagnan running the show as a general manager. They let him sign all these free agents, Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley. Those are the two big ticket names that come to mind. And then they let him run the draft where he gets Quentin Williams, among others. And inexplicably, out of nowhere, they fired a guy. And we're wondering, what is going on here? And then you got reports coming out, news percolating, that Adam Gates may have something to do with that. Adam Gates pulling power moves. I'm sorry, when on earth has Adam Gates done anything in this league outside of the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning? When has he done anything? Don't tell me about the time he was in Chicago and he was with Jay Cutler and made him look respectable. Don't, don't tell me about the time he was in Miami and uh, made the playoffs one time and didn't do anything after that. This is a coach that's got a below 500 record. He hasn't proven anything as a head coach as far as I'm concerned. He, he, you got him up there uh, in press conferences 
looking like he got a gnat in front of his guys, just going all crazy like that. He doesn't appear to have any clue how to get Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell to football regularly. I just don't understand what's going on here. And then you look at yesterday, you got news percolating about Jamal Adams possibly being on the move. Also, Le'Veon Bell. I just don't understand this from either side. I want to hone in on Jamal Adams first. You got news that the Jets were potentially shopping this guy around or at least fielding calls on this guy. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys were one of the teams that come to mind. I believe the Ravens were also the second team in that mix. They ultimately didn't get a deal done. Now you got Jamal Adams out here. Uh, he's all upset. He's he's so fired up and so uh, PO'd at the time that he don't even want to talk to the general manager right now because he feels like the general manager went, quote, quote, went behind his back and shopped him around. But on the other hand, I don't understand where Jamal Adams is coming from because privately he has admitted to Ryan Clark that he wouldn't mind being traded to the Dallas Cowboys. So as far as I'm concerned, Jamal Adams and the Jets are a perfect match. They don't appear to have any clue to what they're doing or what they want or what direction they're going. And, and oh, by the way, Jamal Adams is a great football player. I think he's a star in this league. I think he can play. And I think when you look at the Jets and what they've done recently through the draft and all the draft, the first round draft pick, there was a tweet from ESPN, uh, NFL Nation Jets report, Rich Samini, that just listed on a scroll practically all the names they drafted in the first round since 2009, I believe. None of them are with the team anymore all the way up to 2016 because they now have traded Leonard Williams to the New York Giants. And now you want to trade your 2017 first round pick, Jamal Adams? who is a star. He has star written all over him. Great football player. And you want to dump him. How did, th- 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 this screams Philadelphia 76ers before they all of a sudden got their act together. Where they had, you know, they had Mike Carter-Williams, rookie of the year. You had Nervous Noel. You had other draft picks that showed promise. And just, oh, process, but get him out of there. I don't understand it. So, Go ahead. I want, now, now that you said it, I just want to make this clear. Are you saying this is on the GM? The one that they fired, or this is on Adam Gates? Because the reason I ask you that is because if you reference this to the 76ers, everybody know Sam Preston was doing all that. He, he did the process. That was all Sam yeah, Preston. I, yeah, I got you. And I'm not. And, I, and make no mistake, I'm not saying the Jets are actively trying to lose. I'm just saying it. Just when I look at all these guys, because Leonard Williams is a talented football player. He can play. And you all of a sudden get him out of here. He's still a young guy. That, when you look at teams that are trying to build something up, you look at your, you look at the people you draft. That's how you build teams. And they, they got some guys, particularly when you look at their last four drafts with Leonard Williams, Jamal Adams, Sam Donald, and Quentin Williams. They got four building blocks there that they can build around. But you let Leonard Williams go. Now you're thinking of letting Jamal Adams go because the general manager says, oh, I'm open to try. I'll field calls on anybody except the franchise quarterback, which is what Jamal Adams was upset about. He thought he's, he, he thought he was an untouchable and should, he shouldn't be traded. He thought he's that good. I don't know if I buy into that. And in some respects, I get what the current GM Joe Douglas is saying that, look, I got, look, yeah, I got to field calls on guy because I, I may get an offer that I can't refuse. Ultimately, that didn't happen. And to Jamal Adams, Look, I just I, again, I just don't get it. Publicly, you want to be a Jet, but privately, you're saying you wouldn't mind being traded to the Cowboys. So what are we talking about here? I, it, it just it just reeks that the Jets don't know what they're doing. I, I feel sorry. I feel somewhat bad for Le'Veon Bell because Le'Veon Bell is a guy to me. Le'Veon Bell is a difference maker. 
And you can only make so much of a difference. When you're with the New York Jets and early on this season, the quarterback goes down. So in essence, especially after Trevor Simeon has his leg snapped against the Cleveland Browns, you got now you got Luke Falk in there, who, which is about the same thing as having no quarterback. So you have no threat of a passing game. You got defenses have they throw everybody in the box to stop the run, and you have no chance. You have no chance. And in the last game they play, Le'Veon Bell gets nine carries. I, I, again, I go back to Adam Gates. What are you doing? How how can we look at you as an offensive guy, and you can't figure out a way to get your best player to football? I just don't understand it. So again. It's not only what the Jets weren't able to do yesterday, but as an organization as a whole, what they've done lately, particularly beginning with firing the GM over Adam Gase, I just don't get it. I got one point about your uh, – you kind of alluded to it with the Jamal Adams talk. You know, We were talking about it before the show, and these, at some point as a team that's rebuilding, like the Jets seemingly have been forever, at some point you have to keep a guy like Jamal Adams. He's cheap. He's really good. You have two years left on his contract. He's a dog on the field. He's a leader off the field. You know, he's vocal. He's a guy your guys are going to rally around. He's everything you want. Why would you, if you, unless you just had someone off off the phone that you thought was going to blow your socks off with some massive haul, like a like you know, maybe like the Jalen Ramsey type haul, like why would you even shop that? Because at some point you have to. When you get a guy like him, that's what you're supposed to do, and you're supposed to build off that. You're not supposed to get a guy, make, find one that's good, and then trade him every time. You you're going to perpetually be bad. You can't, you can't put draft picks on the field. Eventually, you have, to have, you have to have guys and utilize those draft picks to get players like a Jamal Adams and stick them on the field and build around them. Again, I'm going to give you those five names again. Sam Dong, I believe in this guy. I think he can play. I think he's got a lot of promise. Le'Veon Bell. Quentin Williams, C.J. Mosey, Jamal Adams. You have five building blocks around him. Find a way to build around those guys. Those, those guys can be your nucleus. Figure it the hell out. Um, I just want to say this. I'm not totally opposed with what that GM said, to be perfectly honest with you. At the end of the day, the only player that you will have on your team that is untradeable is most likely a franchise quarterback. Why do I say that? Because only one position on the field moves points in Vegas, and that's a, that's a quarterback. No defensive back moving points. No middle linebacker moving. Hell, not even offensive linemen, which I, I, they're not even moving points. I don't like the way he went about it. You do not treat your young talent that way. And if he if that's what he thought, like, hey, I'm willing to move anybody. He should have just kept it on the wraps. I didn't like how loose he was with it. He should have kept it on the wraps. That's what he did wrong. We should Exactly. And to that point, we shouldn't know any of this. We shouldn't be allowed to discuss it. That's what bad organizations do. Yes. You, they start leaking. Like um, Colin Cowherd say all the time, and it's a good analogy. When, you know, when President Obama was in the office, he didn't have leaks. He didn't. It was tight as a sieve. That's how you know that was a good administration. But then you get when Bill Clinton was in there, we had a couple of leaks, folks. It was it was leaking like old uh, old um, low income apartment. All right, so that that administration was a little loose at the net. So with that said, I'm not totally opposed to how the, what the GM said because what he said was I think is right. Like I'm. 
franchise quarterback, that's what I'm not moving. I'll move everybody else. He just got to be a little bit more discreet about it. That's fair enough. And, and uh, they wind up not, you know, obviously moving Jamal Adams or Le'Veon Bell. A lot of other guys stayed put, too. You had Chris Harris that didn't move out of Denver, although they thought, you know, he might be going. Darius Slay was the name that got floated around a little bit. Uh, Patrick Peterson, there was calls fielded for him. He never moved. So the only other move that – and those guys didn't surprise me. The only other thing I, I really found interesting – uh, was the AJ Green didn't move out of Cincinnati? It just seemed like at 0 and 8, they were he was a prime candidate to get moved. A wide receiver is always a guy you can kind of move around and trade and get something for. But uh, it seems not only that uh, the Bengals weren't going to deal him, but Green doesn't seem to have a lot of interest in leaving the city, although he does want a long term deal. So that was a little surprising to me. I just I figured that was a name that'd be on the move. I figured he'd wind up with like the Saints possibly as a, as a destination for the right price. But hey, they didn't move and. That's uh, now what really the deadline came and went with being pretty quiet overall. Yeah, one point. Yeah, one point to add um, to some of those cornerback names you mentioned: Chris Harris, Darius Slay, in particular, because I think the Cardinals at three, four, and one, or whatever they are at, I guess they can kind of talk themselves into believing, oh man, we kind of end this race. Which I mean, they're not because they're the worst team in the NFC West and are not going anywhere this season. But when I look at and I bring those corners up. And Chris Harris probably be the most obvious one because Denver is on fast track to absolutely nowhere. So when I look at teams like the Chiefs and the Eagles, who we know what their weakness is, particularly with the Eagles, they don't have corners. We talked about this last week. And the Chiefs, and the Chiefs also. These are teams that need help locking down the outside. Chris Harris, inside, outside, it don't matter. This is a guy who can still flat ball and cover. T.Y. Hilton last week, just two catches. He can lock people down. That's what he does. You can't tell me, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, that you can't use a guy like this. I'm just curious as to why the Eagles didn't make a move because we said this and we said this at the beginning of the season. The Eagles are a team with Super Bowl talent. And right now, a reason that could hold them back is that secondary, particularly at cornerback. You know about it with the blanket analogy. They can't do it. So, uh, that that just surprised me as well as the Eagles and the Chiefs not being able to buffer their defenses. Yep. All right, guys, let's move on to the World Series. We have a Game 7 that gets underway shortly. The Astros sw- swept the Nats in D.C. after falling behind 2-0, but couldn't close it out last night as Steven Strasburg outpitched Justin Verlander for the second time in the series. After missing Game 5 with severe neck pain, Max Scherzer will take the mound tonight for Washington against Houston's Zach Greinke. So, Jay, I'll start with you. How did we get here, and who has the edge in Game 7? Well, first of all, I just want to preface uh, what I'm about to say with this great nugget. You know, in all the uh, seven-game series that have taken place across all of the team sports, talking hockey, baseball, basketball, you know not one. Has the road team won the first six games of a, of a seven-game series? It's never happened in any of the major sports. So to, uh, I say that to say I, I feel like I've been wrong about most aspects of this series. So except for the fact that um, in totality, I still think the Astros get it done tonight somehow, some way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be very honest with you. I, th- I really thought the Astros' best chance after what they did in Washington, D.C., really taking it to the Nats and turning the tables on this series 
outscoring the Nets up there 19-3, I might add. I really thought their best chance to win was in Game 6 with Justin Verlander on the mound. Because with Max Scherzer, with the neck pain that he had, it made him unavailable for Game 5. I just felt like with him coming back for Game 7 against Zach Grinke, that that would be somewhat of a mismatch. But at the same time, I was like, we, no one has had a clue what is going on in this series with what it's done. You look at the series coming in, people thought the Astros were the better team and they would ultimately find a way to get it done. As soon as the Nationals went up 2-0, they're like, oh, man, this could be a quick series. And what did the Astros do? They come out there, they come into D.C. D.C. ain't seen a World Series game since 1933 and a Nats score one run in every game. One run. It's not going to get it done, to say the least. And then you come back to Houston for game six and seven. You're like, oh, yeah, Astros about to shut it, shut it out, shut it down. And game six comes, and the Astros look like they did in game two. So I really, again, because, because of the way the series has gone and everything being so unexpected with how things have turned, uh, with how things have turned out, look, Max Scherzer, the Nationals have a pitching edge tonight against Zach Grinke. Zach Grinke, his last two starts, he's been he's been uh, he's been quietly effective, but he hasn't been able to go deep into the games. He's only pitched four and a third and four and two thirds, I believe. So he hasn't went five. He has, however, only allowed one run in both starts. Allowed one run in Game Three against the Nationals. So I do I do like what Grinke can bring out there. I think his finesse style. I think. It, it has a tendency to get the Nationals off their game a little bit more than the power stuff that Cole and Verlander came out there with. Although Cole, he, Garrett Cole in game five reverted to his ace form, seven innings of one run ball. So he, he came back out there and did a great job for him. Um, but look, somehow, some way, I thought the Astros would win this series from the get. It hasn't quite, it hasn't quite played out how I thought it would. But somehow, some way, I'm going Houston tonight in game seven. I think they get it done. Oh, yeah. We here, folks. Here we are. Game seven for all the marbles. What? <laughs> this is what I like. The best two words in sports. Game seven. Look, how do we get here? I'll tell you how we got here. Trends. Going against trends. That's how we got here. What, what did Jay say? Oh, you don't understand? Let me break it down for you. You just said, for the first time in history, all six first games was won on the road. Is that, out, is that not a trend? Is that not bucking the trend? It is. Exactly. So that's why I say it. Now, another reason I say bucking the trend, did we see Garrett Cole getting beat up like he did earlier in the season? No, we did not. We did not. Did we see... Uh, Verlander getting beat up twice like he did in this season. No, I'm in the series. I'm sorry. Nope. All right. We also didn't see like. Let me let me speed it up. Either way, the reason the re- the reason we got here was because this series has went against majority, if not all, the trending things that we thought was going to happen when this series started. By the way, you mentioned when they went up 2-0, we thought it was going to be a quick series. Your boy was one of them. I thought we was done. Pack it up, folks. We're going home. That I did think that. Evidently, I was dead wrong. That's why I probably don't need to be talking no baseball. Anyway, it is what it is. Look, 
This is fantastic, first of all. Fantastic. I think this whole thing is fantastic. Six road wins. Fantastic. But I got to agree with Jay on this one. The Houston Astros will will win this game tonight. Um, Zach Brinkin, he has I, – I know, like, like Jay said earlier, he don't go deep enough in the game. I think he's going to go as deep as he can get it tonight. We about to empty the kitchen sink, folks. We about to bring out guys that y'all didn't even know who's on the team if we got to. We will get it done tonight. And that's a, and that's the attitude. Honestly, that's the attitude you got to have in a game seven. You cannot leave anything out there. I don't care if it's the, ball, the doggone ball ball over here. Hey, hey, can you can you pitch? Come on over here. Let me, let me holler at you right quick because that's what's going to happen. But all jokes aside, all jokes aside, I think the Astros win this night. I think Greeky will go longer than usual. I think he would get the he would do the job good enough to get that bullpen in and the bullpen and get it done. Because at the end of the day, the reason I thought the Astros would win this the whole thing from the beginning was pitching. I said that. I said I think they got the best pitching in the playoffs, and I think they're gonna win it. And I think tonight we're gonna get to see it. Not to say. That Washington pitching is like no good because I would be lying to everybody. Yeah, they're great. They're great as well, and they they're so, they're top of the line guys. Scherzer and Strasburg have out have outdone Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. Again, Scherzer didn't go in Game Five, although Cole was spectacular. And we don't know if Scherzer would have been outdo what he did. But starting pitching has been the every game. Whoever has had the edge in starting pitching, we look at Scherzer and Strasburg in Game One. They were better than Cole and Verlander. In Washington in games three, three, four, and five, Zach Grinke, we mentioned he didn't go deep, but he was better than Anibal Sanchez. The young man, Jose Arquiti, who I left out in my initial soliloquy, man, this guy was outstanding. Five innings, a shutout ball, was in complete control. Got, he had Nationals hitters up there. They, they couldn't figure out what was going on. This guy was so good. And then Garrett Cole in game five. And in game six, Steven Strasburg, he was absolutely fantastic, and he was much better than Justin Verlander. So... Look, I think it will. I think uh, I don't think we'll see uh, that trend change. I think starting pitching will have a lot to do with the outcome tonight. But you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, bucking trends. Wouldn't you agree with me that the expectation coming in is that the Nationals have an edge with Max Scherzer? Uh, yes, because Grinky. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. But but again, and my point with saying that is. This series has not went how we thought it was. So even though we we think our minds tell us that the Nationals have an edge, the series has been so unexpected that Zach Greg is going to come out there and throw seven scoreless tonight. That, I mean, that would be what I would think now. I, you would think so, guys. And, hey, man, what's nice about this is Game 7 – it, none of this matters. It's 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 game seven, man. Go out and win it. All the trends and numbers, and man, you put it all aside. You got nine or maybe more innings to get it done, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see. Uh, the only thing I would I would be a little concerned about if I was a Nationals fan would be Scherzer's injury was a nerve condition in his neck, and they're saying he's probably good to go, but you don't know. Maybe he gets out there and throws a couple innings that could flare back up, and you're starting pitcher relying on might have to come out early 
But if I was an Astros fan, I'd be a little worried because the way the rest worked, and then with Strasburg pitch as much as he did last night, the Nationals bullpen is going to have they're going to be completely ready. They've got every single arm on deck. I mean, I'm sure in a game seven, you know, most guys are going to be at least somewhat available, but those guys are fresh and ready. So uh, the yeah. Nationals will have as many guys they need to go out there and try to get the job done. Yeah, and, and, to, and to your point about Max Scherzer and the injury, regardless of the injury, the Astros last night in game six were absolutely horrible at working the count. Steven Strasburg pitched in the ninth inning. I don't know why he didn't finish the game. I really don't. He could have pitched the rest of the game. There was no reason with a five-run lead that he couldn't finish that game unless he got into trouble and got a man on, and then you say, all right, we're pulling the plug on this dude. But the the Astros tonight have got to be better um, – in their at-bats. And I talked about this last week when they were down 0-2. They got to work counts. They got to work Scherzer's pitch count. They got to make him work and make him uncomfortable and put traffic aboard and put some doubt in his mind, in his stuff, and make him question, you know, am am I really 100% out here with how I was feeling a couple days ago? And if they can do that, and to your point on all the guys that are going to be available, Corbin's going to be available. Sanchez's going to be available. Hudson and Doolittle, your, your two big guns at the bullpen. They're all going to be there. But the Astros' best chance is to get Scherzer out of the game because no pitcher that the Nationals will be able to go to is better than Max Scherzer. You get Scherzer out the game, you give yourself a good chance. I think that'll be the big key tonight. Well, it'll be fun to see, guys. Game 7 coming up tonight. So we'll have that recap for you on Friday. All right, guys, let's go ahead and turn to the NBA where we're a week away into the or a week into the 2019-2020 season. As we expected, the Clippers and Lakers appear to be quite good, and the Knicks and Bulls look quite bad. However, no team has really played more than four games, so the fellows have promised me not to overreact too much. So, Jay, I'll start with you. What surprised you the most in the season's first week? Uh, I got a couple, but I'm going to start with the boys with the boys up north, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, coming into the season, I thought the Raptors would take a massive step back considering the loss of Kawhi Leonard, and they paid Pascal Siakam max money. I questioned that early on. But, they're, look, they're 3-1 and one out the gate. Uh, Siakam looks like he looks like he's worth the money, averaging 27.5 uh, to start the season along with 10 rebounds. And, look, Fred Van Fleet has continued. Somehow he's been able to continue his hot play from the NBA Finals, and he's parlayed that into the regular season, averaging 18 a game right now. So the Raptors, they look very good. They look like they will still be a threat in the East. I, I don't put them up with the likes of the uh, of the Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks. But when you look at the rest of those teams that will be fighting for playoff position in three through eight, I, think, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the four or five range. I think that's kind of where I see them uh, with Siakam leading the way. And don't forget, we got Kyle Lowry out there. He's no scrub. He can play. Uh, and, look, Marcus Gasol. They got some guys out there. I like what they're doing. OG Ananobi, again, we can't forget about him. He didn't play all that much last season. But they got all those guys. They look like they're off to a good start. I like what I'm seeing. But, again, it is early. So we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes, and we'll see if they're able to continue their early season success. I'm also a little disappointed in the Indiana Pacers, albeit we got to forget no Victor Oladipo right now, so we got to keep that in mind. But they are 0-3. They haven't won a game. Uh, defensively, they appear to be a bit of a mess right now. They're 29th in field goal percentage defense, and they're dead last in three-point uh, defense guarding the three-point line. 
So, look, they don't have Oladipo. They also lost uh, Bojan Bogdanovic in the offseason. Uh, other key guys are gone in uh, Corey Joseph and Thaddeus Young. So there's a, there's a whole lot of roster turnover uh, out there. So they're still sorting some things out. Uh, I think this is an aberration. I, st- I still think the Pacers are going to be a factor in the Eastern Conference. I think they'll make it. And a lot of it, a lot of it will be dependent on how soon Victor Oladipo comes back. Uh, but also, also with the Pacers' slow start, we uh, we gotta we gotta pay some attention to what Malcolm Brogdon's doing out there. This is a guy who last year with the Milwaukee Bucks, some some considered uh, Brogdon, and don't confuse what I'm about to say. Some considered him their second most important player behind Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's not to say he's better than Chris Middleton or he's better than Eric Bledsoe. Because I don't think he is better than Chris Middleton at this juncture. I will say, however, Malcolm Brogdon was incredibly important to the Milwaukee Bucks. And he's off to an absolutely outstanding start thus far. He's averaging 22 points a game. He's averaging 11 assists a game through three games. That's leading the NBA right now. And he's eighth in uh, player efficiency rating. So he's off to a great start. I, I don't know if it's sustainable, but he's a great guy. He's, a gr- he's got a lot of talent. He can flat out shoot the basketball. Uh, he went 50-40-90 last year, 50% from the floor, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line. That's not something you see every day. So, And I really hope the Milwaukee Bucks can uh, continue to play well and continue to to grow without him because i got to be honest with you. I, I, was, I, I thought the Bucks would be in a better position with Malcolm Brogdon as opposed to Eric Bledsoe. But we'll see how it goes. But those are my surprises thus far. Um, <clears throat> the surprise as far as the players go, um, my first one, it, it's got it got to be LeBron James. Um, I thought with a full off season, first time he missed the playoffs in like I'm 15 years or so, um, I thought he was going to be refreshed. He heard all the chatter in the off season. I I just I'm not saying LeBron is playing bad, but for the standards of LeBron, he is playing bad. But his numbers say otherwise, because I know a lot of people say, look at his numbers. His numbers are not terrible. No, his numbers are not terrible. They're not. But this is not the version of LeBron James I thought I was going to see. Like, I thought I was going to see a more assertive LeBron James. His last two games, he put up, like, one field goal in the first half. And I got that. A lot of that is... He wants to get teammates involved and get Anthony Davis rolling. And it's all fine and dandy. But he he got to show more through he got to get in the game more because we I seen this last night. That team is incredible when LeBron and A D are just clicking. You can't just let A D go out here and try to pull forty and twenty every night. It's just not gonna work. He ha- he comes in here with a bomb shoulder. His shoulder's starting to hurt. Okay, this is what we know about AD, right? This is what we know about AD. He gets hurt every year. One way or another, he gets hurt. Last year, he didn't play as much due to injury. He played because they set him down because they want him to stay healthy. That's all. They kept him off the court so he could stay healthy because they know AD. You you gotta you, you gotta come on to the party, LeBron. That's all I'm gonna say about that. I ain't gonna beat my ball. Shouts out to him. Now, shouts out to him and the taco truck. But the second thing I want to talk about is as far as teams go, all right, 
I'm looking at this. I'm not as surprised with the teams because I think the good is still the good and the bad is still the bad for the most part. Um, Jay made a good point about the Indiana Pacers. I thought they would have been better. Okay, they don't got Victor Oladipo, and I have to put a lot of that on that. Victor Oladipo is their star. Now, I do think when he come back with Malcolm Brogdon, that will be a good tandem now because they both play defense, and they're, they're both, like, humble guys. Like, when from what I've seen from both of them, they're, very, they're humble guys, and usually guys like that play well together. From my experience, from what I've noticed, they play well together. So I do think the Pacers, I agree with you, the Pacers were turning around. There's no problem about it. I'm looking at the standings. <laughs> the Western Conference standings to be Zach. And uh, at the top, I noticed two teams. No, I got this. We only got a four-game sample size. So I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about this. But I'm just saying, I go to the standings, and I'm like, yeah, I know the Clippers up here. They the baddest dudes on the block. Wait. That's not the Clippers. That's not the Lakers either. Wait, they're not, that's not even Houston. What? San Antonio? The Minnesota Timberwolves? What? Since when? Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, LaMarcus Aldridge. DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan. Oh, all right. The ceiling did not fall, but... It did throw me off a little bit. Four games sample size, and that was the team that was leading your race. But then, when I go to the Eastern Conference, I get no surprise. You know why? Because the Philadelphia 76ers is the best team right now in the Eastern Conference. And that's the way, for, for the most part, it was one and two between them and the Bucks. So that looks right to me. I mean, Miami being up there, admiration, they're going to fall too. But... The fact that Philadelphia, I said, maybe the East got it right. They ate their weedies. So I don't know what the West doing right now. This is crazy. We got to get it together. So as early as the season is, that my surprise is right now when I look at the, the, the standings, San Antonio and Minnesota are the top two teams. Outrageous. And one more thing I want to talk about. Can we please pump the brakes on this Dallas Maverick hype? Because I hear a lot of people out here, oh, yeah, that Euro duo over there with Luka Doncic and Christoph Porzingis, yo, that's how you do it. Overseas, we taking our currency over here. Nah, let me tell you something. Yeah, you keep them Euros over there. We, we don't want no parts of that, all right? Y'all looking good right now. I give you your props. But you know, when the season start heating up, you're going to need some more pieces. And they ain't got enough. So let's pump the brakes on a Euro Express, all right? Let's just pump the brakes on that. Uh, what, yeah, one more. Um, we, we, had, we didn't mention them yet, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least allude somewhat to the struggles of the Golden State Warriors. I think we expect we, – look, we expected – we didn't expect them to come out there and just blow the doors off people as they customarily do in years past. But listen, they got blown out the first two games of the season. They got absolutely blown out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Yo, you, you, when you talk about them getting blown out, you got to reference the teams first. You, okay, you, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. Look, look, the Clippers, the, they got blown out by the Clippers. You, but you can't excuse getting blown out by the Thunder, though. 
seventy to thirty-seven at halftime. That game. You can't, you can't, you can't excuse that, can you? You got to be better than that. And that's that, and that's and that's what I was saying. That's what I want you to get to. You got blown out by the Chris Paul led Thunders. Chris Paul led Thunder. Second best player is Adams, the center. Man, all right. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <clears throat> you gotta calm down. I'm sorry about that. I don't, I'm glad you stopped because I'm not sure who else is even on that team. Woo! Yeah. I got the Schroeder's still over there, I guess. There's, there's a couple dudes on that team, but yeah, we, look, we didn't expect anything of the Oklahoma City Thunder coming into gear. You get Paul George out of there, you get Russell Westbrook out of there. You're led by Chris Paul and whatever injuries he brought along in the suitcase, so we, we just don't know, but yeah, I mean, Golden State, they, well, again, that's another team with a lot of roster turnover. Clay Thompson not available. We don't know if we'll see him coming uh, coming back this year. But look, Steph Curry and Draymond Green, among others, come on now, can't be looking that bad. Well, it's funny. Did you did you hear what Patrick uh, Patrick Beverly said <laughs> about Golden State? He said, "Hey, it's real hard to play when you ain't got KD on the team." Huh? <laughs> now you know what time it is, baby. Now we got the bully on the block. We got Kawhi. So I want to see how it works now. And so, hey, Patrick Beverly, he let it be known. He ain't got KD no more. It's how to play some ball, folks. It's how to play some ball. So, hey, I'm glad you brought up Golden State because, yeah, they about to be a topic this year. Get blown. Yo, get, get out of here. Get blown up by OKC, led by Chris Paul and a bunch of guys that's fixing up the, your local traffic light. Get out of here, man. This is ridiculous. There's, there, there's no way that can there's no way that continues. By the way, no no way what continues. The the blowout express. They're gonna be better than that. Yeah, they keep messing around. They're gonna get blown out by the Phoenix Suns. Oh, uh, that might be a little extreme here. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Suns are a 500 teams, so could be. They, hey, yeah, the Suns beat the Clippers. So hey, you mentioned Phoenix beating the Clippers and the T Wolves are three and zero. Is anybody gonna be bad in the West? I mean, honestly. I would say this. It will be some teams that be bad. I guess a better question is, is anyone going to be unexciting in the West? I think all the teams going to be exciting to a certain point in the West. Yeah, I was going to throw in an honorable mention. Uh, it looks like Donovan Mitchell has recovered from his uh, sophomore slump we saw last year, and uh, I think it's going to be fun once Mike Conley kind of gets his footing. I'm a little surprised he hadn't been better so far, but he's he's going to get there, and I think they're going to be fun. Uh, glad to see that he's back because he's a fun, really fun young player to watch. And it seems like he's kind of getting back to 425 points a game. So hopefully he'll uh, keep that up and I'll be yet another team to watch out West. But a lot of this will sort itself out. Like I said, we're just a week into the season, so not trying to get too crazy right now. All right, fellas, let's turn to college football. Host of playoff contenders suffered their second loss this weekend and have thus likely been eliminated from the college football playoff. And after South Carolina stunned Georgia in week seven, we witnessed another team tumble out of the top five when Kansas State upset Oklahoma. So, Drink, with all that in mind, what's your biggest storyline coming out of week nine? Uh, let me get a clean up on all five. Clean up on all five. It looked like somebody spilled a, Wisconsin, a Wisconsin badger on the, on the ground. Can we get this clean up, folks? We got customers in here. Get this out the way. Let's go. Let's go. Hustle up. That's my biggest takeaway. I heard all this hype about the Badgers. All this 
oh man, they went out there and smoked Michigan. They just, oh, they just dominated them in every fashion. This team is going to be a major player. Oh yeah, they're a major player, all right. They are a major player. But if you need to wipe some stuff off your shoes, it, hey. Major player for the Sun Bowl. For the, you know, for the, for the Alaskan Igloo Bowl. Because I can tell you right now, they're going to lose some more games this season now. Their psyche is all done. Because now it's a recipe on what to do against them. Stop the run. That's all you got to do. Stop the run. Their defense, right, they was getting all this credit. Oh, this defense is powerful. Oh, it hits you in the mouth. Oh, it got all the juice. Mmm, yeah. Snap it to a Slim Jim. That defense... That defense was out there looking like it was in a snail race. Justin Fields was looking at, yo, what are y'all doing? Are y'all still warming up? Anybody going to do anything to me today? Anybody going to make me earn my husband? Anyone. You. Maybe you. Maybe you. You going to do something? No. Justin Fields was having a doggone field day. J.K. Dobbins? J.K. Dobbins said, I want a piece of that husband talk too. Give me some love. He started running over everybody. And I think he even went over there and stepped on the coach feet and got away with it. Look, man, hey, Wisconsin is by far for me the biggest storyline that came out of this weekend. Here I am trying to give them props. I said, okay, yeah, they lost to Illinois. But, you know, that's just because they overlooked Illinois because they knew they had Ohio State the week after. So, you know, that happens. No harm, no fall. They'll bounce back and play well. They'll be very competitive in this game. Once again, here we go. College football, let me down. Once again, I'm just totally wrong. I didn't will. All right, I'm out here looking like a kicker that's kicking a field goal for the first time in college. I went wide right, all right, wide right. I don't know what. <laughs> I, I, look, I know everybody want to talk about Oklahoma losing, and I'm going to get to that in a minute because <laughs> we got to get to that in a minute. I don't know what they was doing. They stopped running the ball, and I thought they thought they was the greatest show on turf or something. They just Jalen Hurst is out here just chucking the ball everywhere, and then he gets in the red zone, and then he stopped playing. Anyway, I am I was disappointed with Wisconsin. I am I, I think they're done for the season because they're gonna lose another game, and then we're gonna forget about them. And it's gonna be like, but what if they had? Well, what if they didn't lose to Illinois? But they did lose to Illinois. I don't want to hear that crap. So I'm done with them. That was the big, the biggest smoke check of the weekend. The biggest smoke check. And I don't even think Justin Fields was sweating. Now, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oh, hey, what's the name of that coach? Oh, he the best thing since sliced bread. You know he's supposed to go coach the uh, Dallas Cowboys next year, they say. Oh, he's going to be coaching some NFL team because he's so smart and he's so witty and he's so good. But he managed to lose to Kansas State, unranked Kansas State. He got out-schemed by a Division II coach. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, if this was Nick Saban, oh, what would we be saying? Oh, my. We would be talking about. Nick Saban getting old, he getting out coast, this, that, and the third. But it's Lincoln Riley, right? The smartest man in college football. Oh, at least that's what I hear now. And he's out here, oh, losing to Kansas State. 
What do I make of that? This is what I make of that. You're done, Oklahoma. Hear from your boy, one truly. You're done. The only way, and I say the only way, we see you again, to be continued. We'll talk about that on Friday. I'll let your boy. That was my biggest story of the weekend. It's on you, Jake. Yeah, biggest, uh, to uh, kind of jump on the topic you were just on, the Oklahoma Sooners. Not being able to handle Kansas State, it's a big it's a big blow to Oklahoma. But more importantly, it's a big blow to the Big 12 because if Oklahoma loses another game, the Big 12 is out of the running for the college football playoff because Texas has already. I mean, they're they're on their third loss right now. So even even now, Oklahoma's you know their signature win of the season against Texas doesn't look all that good right now. They will have they will have Baylor coming up. They will assuming they can uh, get get their Act back together, run the table, they'll have a chance in the Big 12 title game. But I think I think this loss to Kansas State it, it definitely does hurt. And it we talk about margin of error for teams after they lose their first game. We know we know primarily when you lose when you lose your second game you're done. And now after losing your first game, look coming into this game against Kansas State at this stage of the season, we held several teams in higher regard than Oklahoma. Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, and uh, probably Clemson as well. They've looked more impressive recently. So now with Oklahoma losing, I mean, there's just there's just not a lot out there in the Big 12 that's going to blow you away when you talk about resume builders. And to their credit, they were getting they were getting smoke checked in the third quarter. They did eventually rally. They were down 48-23 at run point. They did eventually rally. They Almost had a chance on that onside kick to get the ball back again and walk down the field and tie the game. Uh, defensively, though, their defense reverted to their old form of not being able to stop anything. So, I mean, up to this point, Oklahoma's defense, they weren't dominant. They're not going to, you know, blow your socks off, but they were respectable. They got stops from time to time, and they played well enough in stretches that would lead you to believe that Oklahoma could make some noise. Come uh, come January. So, but with this loss, it makes it tough for them. They absolutely have to win out to get back in the uh, in the thick of the college football playoff. And uh, an extension of that is now we may have to pay attention to a team like Oregon out in the Pac-12. I don't want to do it. I don't think you want to do it. But look, somebody's got to jump in there uh, in that you know that fourth spot in the college football playoff, and we will get more to it on Friday. And it could be a second SEC team. We don't know. But perhaps the Pac-12 team, probably Oregon, has gotten back in the conversation. Right. Uh, my, my biggest takeaway from the weekend, uh, kind of alluded to the playoff talk again, was Notre Dame and Michigan. Uh, one, Michigan definitely stopped the bleeding of the Harbaugh and the rumors and everything else. They had had a really rough go of it this year, uh, almost falling out of the ranks completely. They handled Notre Dame. And Notre Dame being number eight at the time gives Harbaugh one of those very few top ten wins he has at that school. But uh, I think what the bigger picture is, it, it don't mean nothing about for Michigan because they're still not in any contention. They've been blown out of any contention for any kind of playoff. All they can be is spoilers now. But it did take Notre Dame out of it. This hands them their second loss and combined with the Georgia loss. And while the Georgia loss was, well, they looked good and scrappy and they were close. And this was just, you just got blown out. 
Uh, Michigan ran the ball 57 times for 303 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, see you later, Notre Dame. We don't need to deal with these perennial pretenders finally. And they would have muddied up what is projecting out to be right now a crazy college football playoff uh, scenario where we have all these different, you know, world's uh, teams and one losses and multiple SEC teams. We didn't need Notre Dame getting in this mix and screwing it up even further. So hats off to Michigan and Big Blue for taking care of that. So we don't, that's one less thing we've got to deal with uh, looking into November. Don't make, yeah, don't make it too hard on them committee members. Mm-hmm. Last thing we needed. Well, yeah, I mean, you look, them committee members about to send Michigan a fruit basket. That's what they about to do. Cause now they ain't got to deal with the Notre Dame fan base this year. We ain't got to deal with them, boys. We good. We ain't got to deal with them. Hey, I'm going to send them one, too. I'm sick of having to see them play semifinal games and getting smoked out the building. I- I'm I'm tired of it. They can take Manti Teo and his fake girlfriend and everything else. They, I'm sick of them, man. Every year we deal with it, you know, and they, they look so good. They, watch, they make you believe in them, and then they just, yeah. semifinal, I'll forget it. We'll get, we'll get blown out by 30. Who cares? You know, so. And that's right. I've been meaning to ask y'all, did Kurt, did, um, Kurt and Clay Shaw go to Notre Dame? Clay Kershaw did he go to Notre Dame? I, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, I was just asking because they both got this thing where they like to choke. I didn't know. <laughs> Play, allergic to playoff success? Yeah, no. you know, choke on a big stage. Either way, um, what I was going to say, uh, one more thing I wanted to throw out there is this. Um, Oregon, you brought up Oregon. Best believe, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. This is the Pac-12 summed up. This is why no one cares. Oregon's going to lose this weekend. Just because well, they want to see to do something, they're going to lose. see on the road. That's right. Okay. And, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I, when it's all said and done, I don't expect the Pac-12 to be there. I expect every team will they'll, – they'll figure it out, and they'll find a way to all have multiple losses, which will get all of them out of there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Hey, one more note. We didn't, we didn't talk about LSU, Auburn. I feel a little bad. I feel a little bad for Gus Malzahn. I really do, and here's why. I get that Bo Nix is a freshman, but my God, every time I watch Auburn and I find myself perusing the box score and I look at some of these passing numbers, I mean, 15 to 35, and then we, we, a couple weeks ago we were looking at 100 yards passing. I mean, come on. And, they, you know, with, with that, that suspect of a passing game, they still find a way to play LSU competitive. They lose by a field goal with that much of a mismatch at quarterback. Um, Joe so, so Burrow was thirty-two of forty-two in that game, so it's just Bo Nix was fifteen and thirty-five in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, Gus Malzahn, I got a request of you. If there's any way, um, could we get you to donate Bo Nix's ankles to Tua so? We can get through the rest of this season. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Shouts out to Gus Malzahn. We're going to need those ankles. I'll uh, I'll be sure to get in touch with his people. All right, guys. It's time to finish off with a rapid reaction. A lot of topics in a little bit of time. We'll start with you, Drink. Oh, yeah. The Bengals have benched Andy Dalton, and we'll start rookie Ryan Finley in their next game against the Baltimore. Is that the right move, Jay? Absolutely. You're 0-8. You're going nowhere in a hurry. You know what? You know Andy Dalton's not the future. You got to at least see if Ryan Finley could perhaps be the guy in the, for the last half of your season. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, the NCAA voted unanimously to start paving a way to allow college athletes to profit from their names, images, and likenesses in a manner consistent with the collegiate model. What does that mean? Right now, it don't mean anything. It's just lip service. 
I didn't make it sound good, but it's just lip service. The Atlanta Hawks point guard Trey Young could return in just a week after spraining his right ankle last night against the Miami Heat. Good news, right? That's great news. Uh, the injury looked really bad. I saw it live. Uh, but hey, he's been and he's been off to a fantastic start for the Hawks. The Hawks look like they'll be competitive in the East. They may make the playoffs. Got a lot of young players, and uh, it's good news that he's not seriously hurt. Alabama coach Nick Saban says quarterback Tua Tagovailoa will be a game time decision for next week's showdown with LSU. What are your thoughts, Drink? Hey, you could bet your kids that Tua gonna be in that game against LSU. Yeah, best believe it, baby. He wouldn't miss it with nothing. He'll come out there on crutches if he got to. Clippers forward Kawhi Leonard will not play tonight against the Jazz due to low management. Your reaction? I hate it. We played four games and we already need a break. Come on, man. Bears kicker Eddie Pinero said he would have preferred his last second missed field goal against the Chargers to not have been spotted on the left hash. What's your reaction to that? Cut him. What are you talking about, man? I don't care if the ball on the left hash, the right hash, or in the midfield logo. Just make the field goal. You got to shut up. Browns QB Baker Mayfield walked out of the media session today after a less than pleasant exchange with a reporter. Does that surprise you? No, we both knew coming into the season, if they got off to a rough start, and make no mistake, it's a rough start out there at 2-5, and five, that things were going to unravel, egos were going to get heightened, personalities were going to shine. And, look, they're frustrated. They got more talent than – they got a lot of talent, and they can't figure it out right now. Lakers forward Kyle Kuzma could make his season debut during the Lakers' upcoming three-game road trip spanning November 1st to the 5th. In what way will this help the Lake show? In every way, they need they need a third score. Like, LeBron like Kuzma, let's go. AD like Kuzma, let's go. That's going to help him in every way. They need him. After eight seasons as a pitching coach in New York, the Yankees fired Larry Rothschild. Right move? I don't agree with this. I think he did a really good job out there. I understand you're not blown away by the Yankees starting pitching, but that bullpen was actually was absolutely locked down lately. And I look at I look at the general manager Brian Cashman get better starting pitching. Last one: Spurs and Clippers tomorrow night at the Staples Center. Spurs moving to four and zero, or do the Clippers hand them their first loss? Oh, the Clippers still going to beat the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard, so it doesn't even matter. All right, guys, that concludes today's drink of wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise, and I'm Nathan Drinking. And remember, make tomorrow better than today, and make today better than yesterday. I'll let you into next time. <laughs> Thank you.